Money talks. But so do we. I'm Lauren. And I'm Daniel. And And we're we're your friends friends with tax benefits. We're here to sound off about write-offs. To get wise about wealth building. And to take the taboo out of tax talk. We work at TurboTax, so obviously, this is what we love to talk about. But we're not here to replace your accountant. In each episode, we'll share our own personal opinions, advice, and jokes about all things financial. What we won't do is share any opinions on behalf of Intuit, TurboTax, their brands, or employees. The lawyers made you say that, huh, Lauren? So stop scrolling on Tax Talk, tell your CPA you'll call them back later, and let's talk tax, friends. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Friends with Tax Benefits. I'm Lauren Thomas, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Daniel Thrall. Hey, Daniel. Hi, Lauren. Thanks for saying I'm wonderful. You're wonderful, (laughs) too. Good to see you. Good to see you. So what are we talking about today, Lauren? Well, let's get into it. Today, we're talking about a topic we may all know pretty intimately, which is health insurance and maybe less intimately, which is the tax implications of our health insurance. Today, we'll be joined by two special guests, Chelsea Haynes, who's a gut health coach and a chronic disabilities advocate who has explored alternate ways to access healthcare. And she recently posted on Instagram about her really difficult experience navigating health insurance as someone living with a chronic illness. She decided to drop conventional health care and opened up a health savings account, or an HSA for short. And later, we'll have tax expert Diana Castro to answer some tax questions about health insurance. I'm really excited to welcome Chelsea to the podcast today. So diving into Chelsea, what is a gut health coach? Why do we all need one? And then we're going to get more into what the heck is an HSA? Yes, for sure, Lauren. Thank you so much. And, you know, what an honor to be able to share my own personal story because over the decades, we have seen a crazy rise in chronic illness and autoimmune disease. And for me, over 20 years ago, the journey was a lot more than just band aid solutions. And what that involved was digging deeper. And in 2009, I was really frustrated with the current. Model. And that was essentially, I could only go to certain doctors that was covered by my health coverage. And those doctors could only talk to me about certain things because they were limited about what they were allowed to talk about. And simultaneously, they could only give me certain treatments and medications that were based on what was covered. For me personally, I have an autoimmune disease, it's, it manifests as psoriasis. So chronic rashes on the skin is really not only uncomfortable, it's embarrassing. You know, there's, there's a lot of layers to dealing with chronic health issues. I'm sure many of your listeners can relate to that, whether it's painful or shameful or all of the above. It's, it's frustrating. And, you know, after quite a few years of seeking answers and really just feeling frustrated and on the verge of tears every time I left my dermatologist's office, I finally said, okay, I need to dig deeper. I need to search for more answers here. And my gut definitely was screaming at me that there was something else going on, that there must be inherently a reason why this is happening. And in 2009, I saw a quote-unquote alternative therapy. And at the time, that was really just going to a nutritionist. The person that I went to was not covered by my health insurance. So I did the scary thing at the time. And that was, you know, I saved a, a whole month's rent and I hired this nutritionist and gut health coach. 
And, you know, this was back before gut health was trending and before Instagram, I think, was even a thing. And she put me on a gut healing protocol and it completely changed my life. What we do as health coaches is we are masters of habit change. Foundationally, if you start taking supplements or medication and it's helping you, that's wonderful. But again, it's not getting down to the root of what led you to feeling this way in the first place. I also have an autoimmune condition and was diagnosed several years ago. And I read that on average, people with autoimmune conditions take, you know, at least visits to five different doctors over two years to get any kind of helpful diagnosis. And by the time my doctors caught mine, it had progressed so severely, I literally could have died from this. So it was a very scary experience for me. So I think a lot of people can relate to having some kind of autoimmune condition or knowing somebody that has had one. So I think the work is really important and the conversations around it as well. It, it pains me because to think, you know, for five years, you didn't even have answers to your problems, never mind the fact that your problems were getting worse. And with some very simple foundational steps, your experience could have been 180 degree difference. So even on the journey of trying to find answers, you could have actually also been getting better. So we don't always need to have a diagnosis. I think the human condition, especially for high-performing people, we always want to know why. You know, why, 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 why is this? I need answers. I need to see it on paper. But ultimately, the paper is wonderful and really validating. But for us, your symptoms and how you're feeling is the best diagnosis. And if you're not feeling good, we can make really game-changing. We like to say small hinges swing big doors. You know, we can make very small little steps and swaps or 1% promises to yourself every day that you're committed to keeping that are really going to be needle moving for your healing experience. So I hate to hear that for you. And I hope you're on the other side of it. But yeah, for anyone listening, please reach out to me because I can help. <laughs> and then one of the challenges about healthcare, real talk, is it's expensive, right? Whether or not you have insurance, you mentioned saving up a month of rent to go to an alternative doctor. And a lot of people really can't afford to do that. So I'd love to get real with you about um, the upsides and downsides that you've seen of paying out of pocket for your healthcare or using an HSA as opposed to using traditional insurance. Definitely. I mean, ultimately, again, traditional insurance, it just, for me personally, it left me feeling powerless in my care. You know, I had to first, before I went to any doctor, I had to first get on the website of my insurance and make sure that my doctor was covered. And if they weren't, I felt this awful feeling of doom. Like, oh, I finally found some that I think might be able to help me and it's not covered. So now my care was delayed a month because I needed to save up for that. So I think we can all benefit from putting money to the side for savings every single month. If you're not doing that, I highly recommend doing it, even if it's 20 bucks a month. Put it into an HSA account. But then ultimately, the pros to now shifting my mindset from I'm trapped and stuck in this paradigm that's not even helping me anymore to I am in full control of my care. And now I'm not paying a third party to tell, you know, who's then paying my doctors, which is controlling what they can say and do for me. My doctors are now working for me. And that is a really empowering shift and, and something that I really want to emphasize for anybody on a chronic healing journey that your doctors work for you and you need to be an advocate of that. And when you pay your own money to see them, it really puts you back in this like 
healthy mindset to be able to control the narrative in the sense of saying, hey, listen, I'm paying you for your time. So let's sit down and dig deep into this. One of the things that was fearful to me when I didn't have health insurance was I can be safe, but if I get run over by a truck and my leg falls off, will I go bankrupt? Do you maintain some sort of like catastrophic traditional plan in case of emergency and yet keep this HSA for your your regular medical care that you do? 100%. So my husband and I are on a catastrophic family plan. Uh, we want to make sure that we're covered, you know, so it does have a high deductible, which again can be paid from our HSA account. So we really have it set up where when we're looking at the bigger picture of it, we say, okay, we have a high deductible. And, you know, based on what that number is, we know we have that nest egg saved in a health savings account. So that way we can use that money in that scenario. And then we're covered beyond that. It's it's a pretty straightforward scenario for us. Now, obviously, everyone is in different circumstances. So this was just our personal circumstances, two young, healthy people who have chosen alternative healthcare practices like chiropractors and massage and acupuncture that may or may not be covered by insurance. Some are, some are not. Maybe only one 30-minute appointment is covered per month, and you need more than that. So again, for me, these are all options that I am able to bring back into my control and say, okay, I can put this out of my health savings account. I know it's covered because I'm educated on what's covered and what's not based on the account that I've chosen. And I have full control over when I see my practitioners for my chronic symptoms rather than having to ask somebody's permission first. For those of us who are uninitiated, right, an HSA is a health savings account, and it allows us to invest now for healthcare expenses. And one of the key benefits is that money grows tax-free as long as you use it in the future to pay for your healthcare needs for certain approved health expenses. So two questions for you on this. One, I believe there's an annual cap on how much you can put into an HSA every year. So how do you navigate that if your expenses go beyond that cap? And secondly, if you're using your HSA funds now to pay for health expenses now, how do you also think about saving for the future and your healthcare needs for the future? So I am a business owner and part of my business strategy is to fund that account as well. So as part of being owner of my company and owner shares that get taken out, that is all played into the tax strategy with my CPA at the beginning of the year. As it stands right now, I do not spend as much as I put in. Again, this was also part of the bigger plan when stepping away from conventional healthcare because I was paying monthly three, four, five hundred dollars a month for care that I was not using at all. That money was just being paid to someone else, quote unquote, just in case. So now that same money that I was spending there goes into my health savings account. So I'm putting the money into a cushion that I know I'm not just throwing out the window, but I am building up for future use. Of course, that also looks at what are my expenditures every month? So I always want to make sure that in my bigger savings plan, my income for the year, for the month, projected sales for the year in my company, we can look at all these numbers and say, okay, on average for the last year, we spent this much money in qualified health savings spendings. We want to make sure we're putting more money than that into the account. So there always is an abundance in the account. And every year we're always aiming to max out what can go in the account. For me personally, that has really worked out so far. 
Of course, in the event that we have to drain that account in the event of an emergency, we have a backup separate savings fund that will then, you know, of course, my husband and I sat down and when looking at our finances, we said, okay, here's our health savings account. Here is our life savings account, our cash cushion for our life. In the event that our health savings account is drained, we know we can reallocate those funds back into that account. So Chelsea, I'm hearing you say, and this makes a lot of sense, that with traditional health insurance, you were paying every month, but you weren't necessarily using it or the healthcare you were getting wasn't addressing, addressing your needs. And so when you put it into an HSA, you're able to use every cent towards healthcare that is meeting your needs. So that, that makes sense. I guess I'm wondering about what other light bulbs have gone off in your head as you have accessed healthcare through an HSA or what questions do you still have? Or are you trying to navigate regarding an HSA to pay for your healthcare questions or answers that you've uncovered? So I think some of the questions I had was, am I able to access this money at any time? And how do I do that? Uh, with the account that I personally chose, they gave me a debit card. So I can literally use that at the pharmacy, at my doctor's office. It's used just like a regular credit card, which is super convenient. For me, convenience and easy buttons are a non-negotiable in all of life, including gut health and everything else, right? The way we do one thing is the way we do everything. And then I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to be penalized if I pulled the money out uh, prematurely. Like, was there a certain amount that I could spend within a certain time? And are there penalties for pulling money out at different times? Um, I also wanted to make sure that if there were fees, that they were reasonable. So what yearly fees am I going to accrue? And then, of course, what's the maximum amount that I can put in every month? And then how does that benefit me tax-wise? Um, I guess one last question that I had was, does this money accrue interest? And what does that look like? And different accounts have different answers for that question. Love it. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for your time today. I've really appreciated your perspective. Yeah, thank you so much. And of course, I would love just to a shameless plug here. I'd love to connect further. So if anyone wants to find me, I'm on Instagram at your gutsy gal. And then our website is theguttealthagency.com. If you are seeking help with any or all of the above, just send me a DM. I'm happy to talk more about it. Yeah, Chelsea, thank you so much for spending time with us. It's great to visit with you, hear your story, learn from you, um, add some light bulbs turn on. So I wish you the best of luck. And um, I'm so happy to hear that your health has turned a corner and you're feeling great. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much for everything. It's been an honor. Next up, I'm really excited to dig further into the implications for what an HSA and insurance means when it comes to tax time. So I'm excited to welcome our tax expert guest today, Diana Castro. And Diana is a TurboTax expert and enrolled agent. And as a first-generation American who grew up in a Spanish-speaking household, she is really passionate about sharing her expertise with others in her community. Welcome, Diana. Always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here, Lauren. I'm so happy to join you today. Diana, I'm going to get real with you and I'm going to try to stump you today. We've got some flexible and unflexible and health savings questions that we can rely on you to help untangle. So I'm going to cover some high level questions regarding health insurance, medical expenses, and then I'm going to hand it over to Lauren to get real nitty and gritty. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. First and foremost, when is health insurance tax deductible? Is it tax deductible if you're unemployed, seeking employment, employed? Help me figure that out. So yeah, that can be a little bit of a tricky question. 
So whether it's tax deductible or not is going to depend on your particular um, situation. Uh, first is going to be if you are not self-employed, if you are taking the standard deduction or itemizing. Because if you're taking the standard deduction, then however much you've spent on your health insurance isn't going to impact your bottom line on your taxes. But if you are itemizing, I know most people are not itemizing anymore, but if you are itemizing, then the portion of your health insurance and medical expenses that are deductible is the portion that's over 7.5% of your AGI. And I know that can sound like, you know, uh, a tax mouthful. Um, so I'll be happy to break that down for you if you'd like in order to simplify it a bit. Let's back up and break down as a reminder, what is the difference between the standard deduction versus itemizing? I think that's question number one. Absolutely, because there's still a lot of confusion about that. So essentially the way it works is that the IRS will give you a standard amount that you can use to reduce your taxable income. And that standard amount depends on your status. For example, if you are single, if you're head of household, if you're married filing jointly. So let's say we take the example of a single filer as an example. So their standard deduction right now is $12,950. Head of household is $19,400, and married filing jointly is $25,900. So you might wonder, why does this matter? Well, it matters because if your standard deduction as single is $12,950 and you made $100,000, well, you get to deduct $12,950 from your taxable income, and now you're no longer being taxed on the $100,000, you're being taxed on the amount after you take your standard deduction. So whether it's 12950 or 19400 whichever one of those applies to you. But with medical expenses, it gets a little more complicated. You need to look at your bottom line. What is your AGI, your adjusted gross income? So if your AGI is 100000 and you're trying to figure out if you should itemize, well, first you need to figure out what is 7.5% of your AGI for medical expenses. So that would be 7500 So if you had... $10,000 in medical expenses, you can't deduct the whole 10000 You can only deduct the difference between the 10000 and the 7500 which is the 7.5% of your AGI. And then you would take that number plus your other expenses and now see, does it exceed your standard deduction? So if you are itemizing your expenses, then the total value of all of your medical expenses has to be over seven and a half percent of all of your income in order for you to be able to claim those as an itemized deduction. And then you're only able to claim the amount above. If it's below that, then you're not able to claim it as a deduction and it may not help you itemize it if the value of that expense doesn't help push you over the, the value of that standard deduction. Yes, absolutely. And so Diana, quick question for you on this. You mentioned that for people who are employed, like us nine to fivers, those with the part-time jobs with an employer, if you're self-employed, what are some differences to keep in mind when it comes to deductions on health expenses and health insurance costs? Okay. Well, actually, um, whether you're self-employed or not, there are a couple different ways that you can still deduct some of your medical expenses 
even if you're taking the standard deduction. So a couple of those ways would be if your employer, for example, offers you an FSA or an HSA plan. So one is called a flexible spending account and the other one is a health savings account. Then you can have money taken from your paycheck, pre-tax dollars, and it goes into an account and you can use that to pay for some of your uh, medical expenses. So I don't understand the difference between a flexible spending account and an HSA, a health savings account, aside from the fact that flexible spending account, you got to spend it by the end of the calendar year and you don't, you can accrue with an HSA. Like why would one then choose an FSA over an HSA if you lose your money in the flexible spending account if you don't spend it? Okay, yeah, those are great questions for sure. And it can be definitely confusing. So the one similarity that they both have is that they are both special accounts that you can use to pay for medical expenses for pre-tax dollars. Now, some of the specifics of how they're administered differs, and um, you may not have a choice. If you're working for an employer, they may only offer one or the other, so you won't have a choice. But like you mentioned, one of the advantages of an HSA is that that money can roll over, and that can actually be a tax planning strategy. Whereas with the FSA, you do lose that money at the end of the year if you don't spend it. They do allow some amount to roll over. Some of the other differences are ownership, for example. The FSA is actually owned by your employer, whereas the HSA is owned as the individual or the employee. So if you leave the company, that FSA, you don't roll it with you. Um, the account ends when you, you know, terminate your employment. With an HSA, it belongs to you, so you can roll it over somewhere else. You can continue rolling money from year to year that's in that account. So that's typically one of the key differences um, for people. And the other one is the amount that you can contribute. The HSA allows you to contribute a bit more than the FSA does. And then in addition to the FSA having the health savings component, it also has a dependent care component as well, where monies can be used to pay for dependent care under what's called a, a DCAP. So there's definitely nuances between the two, but the bottom line is there are, both of them are great vehicles to be able to put money in on a pre-tax basis. So that's reducing your tax bill. And so now you're getting a deduction on anything that you're spending from those accounts from the first dollar, whether you're claiming your standard deduction or not, now you're getting to use those monies on a pre-tax basis and reduce your tax bill. So imagine that I am a full-time employee of a company and I leave the company and I'm keeping up my healthcare, paying for it out of pocket. Does employment status change anything? Employment status does change if you're going, for example, from being a W-2 employee to being self-employed. Then you have you know, different options as self-employed. You can choose what type of plan you have. Now, keep in mind, an HSA requires you, in addition to qualify for that HSA, to have what's called a high deductible health plan. So you can't just have an HSA with you know, any health plan. It has to be a health plan that the IRS considers to be a high deductible health plan. High deductible health plan would include, like for a single person, you'd have to have a minimum of a $1,500 deductible. For a family, it would be 3000 
Also, it has parameters in terms of what your maximum out-of-pocket can be, which means the most you're going to have to pay for healthcare items and services under that plan. So for a single person, it's $7,500, and for a family, it's $15,000. So that's the one thing about the HSA you have to remember, that it has to be used in conjunction with a high-deductible health plan, and FSA does not. It can be used with any health plan that you have. Dana, I remember when I was first navigating health insurance, and there were so many terms that were so confusing to me, and I can't be the only one. So you mentioned high deductible insurance plans. What does that even mean? Okay, let's try to break it down for you, Lauren. So um, for example, let's look at all insurance, right? Car insurance, um, homeowner's insurance, because people can sometimes relate to that better. So let's say you get in a car accident and you have a $3,000 deductible. Well, that means you need to pay that $3,000 out of pocket first before the insurance is going to kick in. And it works the same way with health insurance. So if you have a high deductible plan, you're going to first need to meet that deductible, pay whatever medical expenses you have come up out of pocket before that health plan kicks in. The IRS defines the high deductible health plan that you can use in conjunction with an HSA to have a minimum deductible of $1,500 for an individual and $3,000 for a family. Then it can be used in conjunction with an HSA. They also have kind of a maximum out-of-pocket limit. So the maximum out-of-pocket limit on this high-deductible health insurance plan for an individual is $7,500, and for a family, it's $15,000. So that means that's the most you'd pay um, out-of-pocket for you know healthcare items and services under that plan. As is always the case when we do the podcast, I learned a ton this week about healthcare and taxes, and it's all thanks to you, my wonderful partner, Lauren, you, Diana, and Chelsea for joining us to share her experiences. So I really appreciate your insight and your rolling with us when, when people like me just don't get it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And whether it's, you know, small or large, people can take advantage of an FSA and HSA or some additional deductions. Well, that's just going to be, you know, more money that's in their pockets. And, um, you know, every dollar counts, as they say. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Friends with Tax Benefits. Lauren, I will see you next week. See you next time. And for those who are listening... Remember to like, subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Bye for now. Friends with Tax Benefits is an Intuit TurboTax podcast presented by TurboTax Studios and made in partnership with Frequency Media. We're your hosts, Daniel Thrall. And I'm Lauren Thomas. From Intuit TurboTax, Jane Lahani is our executive producer and Tony Melinda is our video producer. From Frequency Media, Jordan Rizieri is our producer, Emily Krumberger is our associate producer, and Matthew Ernest Filler is our editor and sound designer. Concept development by Jessica Olivier, Jill Pachesnik, and Isabel Moncloa Daly. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found.